0: Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode fifty-six. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent Jiu-Jitsu approach. Matt, anything exciting going on?
1: I just did a seminar at the school the other day with Jeremy Kennedy, who's a UFC veteran, uh, PFL uh, veteran, MMA fighter, one of the best uh, MMA fighters in Canada, and picked up some awesome wall wrestling stuff. So. That was exciting and yeah, that funny was funny if, if you
0: think you were there too. Innit? I was. And you know, this is really good and really useful for me because I've been having a lot of problems with walls recently. I don't like them. I don't like that they're big and heavy and they close me in. So, you know, it's good that I have the tools to fight back now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of funny because really the only practical application for a seminar like that as a pure grappler is like either you're thinking about doing MMA or self-defense. Like really, there's no competition where there's a wall, but I like... The, there should be, be. There should be. It would be yeah. kind of cool to have like a grappling competition where there's just a random wall attached to the mat and you can totally utilize that for your Just manager. one
0: wall on one side yeah. so that everyone's trying to get to that side well, so they can exploit it. Honestly, that's how I visualize it. Yeah. <laughs> but th- when I pose that idea to people, they're like, oh, that's stupid because then you'd see
1: like... People stalling people on the wall I'm like as yeah, if you don't see people stalling already, yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome though like i I actually really enjoy wall wrestling and um like you just realize how little you know when you have an an elite wall wrestler like Jeremy come in and show you some cool stuff, but he definitely just like uh you know really showed some awesome details and things that he does on the wall, basically just like a part two of uh the first seminar he did, and yeah, that's kind of our approach at on guard where you know even though that's not really applicable to a, a, a grappling competition per se it's just it's like you're learning from a different perspective and and doing grappling in a different way and i think it crosses over and sort of gets the creative juices flowing
0: and i think it's awesome to at least be aware of how much of a difference the wall makes you know as oh, yeah. a grappler who just does traditional jiu-jitsu using traditional jujitsu rules you're kind of used to not having to think about walls being there and Once you actually start sparring with a wall, you realize that, you know, unless you're going to get attacked out in an open field, wall wrestling is really, really important. It makes a massive difference. There's a whole series of strategies that apply differently when you're up against a wall. And I mean, as someone who likes to cheat when he's grappling in class, you know, I love to just run off of the walls and do annoying things to escape. And you're not supposed to do that, but it makes a big difference. It is a, I think a big blind spot to people who maybe want to learn jujitsu for self-defense. You know, you don't really realize what a difference it makes when you get cornered up against a wall or what if you stand up and someone presses you against a wall. I think everyone, if they're interested in self-defense, should try that at least once because in the real world you're not going to have a ref who stops you and pulls you back to the center if someone jumps you on the street (laughs) that's true
1: and uh yeah you know it's it it is a lot of fun it it, it is literally a whole different system like uh, Mm. when you you train with a guy like jeremy who's just so advanced like he's got a system basically laid out and so many different things he could show us but you know by the end my brain was kind of tired from just Mm -hmm. taking in all this brand new information so it was it was really cool to sort of check out uh to check out a different look at grappling and um yeah i really enjoyed it yeah um, and i really like to get into a street fight so I, could <laughs> the wall.
0: I really liked when jeremy picked up one of your students and made him do a 270 degree flip in the air off of a high crotch that was pretty great
1: yeah in certain positions like if like he showed a really cool counter to a kimura trap where you basically switch from a single leg to a high crotch just by passing your head to the outside and you basically just you can the guy becomes weightless and you can just mm-hmm. dump him from there and he showed me some cool uh some cool lift techniques to just get some quick takedowns back to the mat and it was
0: just really awesome material so big thanks to jeremy kennedy for that seminar yeah and for anyone else who manages to catch jeremy if he's off traveling somewhere and gets a chance to train with him highly recommended this is the second time i've been to one of his seminars and he's an awesome teacher great teacher yeah it's actually really impressive for a guy that young you know he who has that kind of teaching skill a lot of people Teach for decades and decades and never get as good as he is at explaining and breaking down complex concepts. So, a lot of the stuff he says and the way that he explains things sticks with me, and I use that with my students as well. So, definitely recommend it to drop in and check him out if you ever are in the area with Jeremy Kennedy. Yeah. Cool. So, today, another one of those episodes where we've got a question that I think is enough it's complex enough that we could probably do a whole talk off of it so matt and i decided that we're gonna spend a whole episode answering this one question so i'll read it out hey matt and steve i've trained with rob as a guest student and i'm a big believer in conceptual jiu-jitsu so i love what you guys do would you guys ever do an episode on promotions and or merit-based rank I come from an association where we have two annual grading tests tied to a somewhat self-defense, somewhat sport curriculum. I think Pedro Sauer and Gracie University affiliations do the same. I'd love to know what you think about tests for promotions versus the more traditional approach of promoting sort of whenever. Thanks. So I guess the topic today is promotions. You know, what? this is something that... It's a big
1: topic, actually. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm realizing... There's many subsects of promotion topics. Yeah, yeah, Like there's striping, there's belts, there's belt tests, there's adults versus kids, you know, which Mm -hmm. is my favorite fight. Yeah,
0: and there is (laughs) no way to really break this down fully objectively. Like there is no objective measuring criteria that people can apply across the board it is something that almost every gym does differently which is why i think you get a lot of conflict and kind of discussion about this topic because nobody can agree on the right way to do it and what a belt means i mean some places you go and the belts are really not that much of a priority they're just kind of like a thing you do almost like a little ritual but other places take belts very very seriously and it matters a lot more too if you're a very competition heavy school because then the belt actually has consequence i mean if you're a casual practitioner like me the belt really doesn't mean that much but if you are a professional or at least very very um active competitor then the problem you have is a promotion can dramatically change your success rate in competition there becomes Mm -hmm. a discussion of how do you know do i promote you fast or do I? which division
1: are you going to be in
0: exactly or do i promote you slow right and again then you have an interesting problem because if you've got a mix of competitive students versus casual students how do you reconcile the promotion strategies for each yeah sorry go ahead i was just going to say that from my standpoint there's kind of four different criteria that people use when it comes to deciding how to promote someone and most places they weigh these four different things at at different levels some people really really prioritize one over the other so i i would say and matt you tell me if i'm wrong on this that most schools they have four different criteria when it comes to choosing when it's time to promote someone some schools are time-based meaning really the most important criteria for them is have you been training long enough to justify a promotion regardless of whether or not you have a certain skill level another criteria is relative skill. So, if I'm going to put a brown belt on you, how do you stack up compared to the other brown belts in the school? Basically, like, are you good enough at actual grappling that we justify giving you this belt? Another criteria is personal growth. Some instructors feel, well, it doesn't really matter how good you are relative to the other guy. How far have you come along on your own journey? Are mm-hmm. you seeing the kind of growth that would justify <clears throat> taking you to the next level? And the last one is contribution. So some people at some places will promote based not necessarily on even how good of a grappler you are, but yeah. how much you contribute back to jujitsu. So for example, a lot of people are very deserving black belts, not because they're amazing competitors, but maybe they're amazing instructors, or maybe they are very very engaged in the community and they run a lot of tournaments mm-hmm. and so they give back in that way yeah and at different belt levels too these things may take different priority i mean regardless of what you feel about why you should promote someone the reality is once you get to black belt it mostly becomes about time and contribution right yeah. i mean once you once you're 40, degrees on the yeah. black belt yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. come with time <laughs> exactly like once you get to 40 or 50 years old no one really cares about whether you're able to you know whether you're better than the other five degree black belts it really comes down to how long have you been training and what have you given back to the community like my my understanding and granted i am not remotely qualified to speak on this but my understanding is that once you start getting to black and red and red belt then really what they're looking for is what are you giving back to the art you know you yeah. can't just be showing up to the gym and training and then going home and expect to get up to like black and red belt you've got to be actively giving back to the art somehow so at a high level, once you get old, I mean, that kind of stuff becomes the priority. But when we talk about promotions, I think we're generally talking about the journey from white to black, right? That's when most people are debating these topics. And so... Every gym is going to weigh things differently. I mean, I started my my training at a Gracie Baja affiliate, and I would have to say honestly that really the only thing they appeared to care about was time, right? And I think a lot of that was just the function of being a school with a lot of students, more than you could really give personal care to on any individual basis. So there was kind of a tick, like a a check-in tracking system, and if you'd you know you'd been there for two or three months, you were due for your next stripe, and it was like clockwork. Like you could come in and you could predict the exact day you were to get promoted
1: yeah most schools with like over 200 or 300 members will do it that way
0: or most schools too that are part of a like a big affiliation affiliation. because at some point i mean i'm not saying it's right or wrong but at some point if you've got a massive massive affiliation you have to you you have to come up with some way to standardize across all of that right Mm. you can't have a situation where different schools are just totally off into the reeds compared to what the other schools are doing Mm. so the reality is like in terms of objective ways to measure time is really the only way to do it. Uh, So if you want to be fully objective in terms of your promotion, that's when you do time-based. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Some schools do that. Some schools don't. My school does not do that, but I also understand why you would do it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that comes down to what a belt means to you. I mean, if for you, a belt is just a signifier of time on the mat, then sure, time is a good criteria. But at a lot of schools, people do not consider time to be a good qualifier for the belt rank that you should wear. I mean, I I would say, Matt, that probably Rob's main way of grading is based mostly on relative skill, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say that his he's mostly concerned about whether you at a belt level match up to his expectations based on what everyone else is at that level, right? Like I'm assuming that he would basically say like, look, if you're going to be a brown belt, I expect you to have a certain level of skill that I would expect out of all of the other brown belts. And exactly. I, yeah. And
1: and even in, in Rob's case, it would be more on like an international stage. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when I, when I got my black belt, I basically, I was still under another team and they were saying, Hey Matt, like we're thinking about giving you your black belt. And then I went and talked to Rob because I was, I was learning from Rob, but I wasn't officially under Rob. And he basically said, you're not ready for your black belt. And I was like, what do you mean? I I know that I'm like in the city, one of the better guys. And he said, yeah, your guard retention is, is your, your Achilles heel right now. If you, mm-hmm. if you get your black belt now, like you are a black belt in a lot of rooms, but I want you to be a black belt at the highest level on an international stage. And it was that moment that I was like, mm-hmm all right, I'm going with you just because, because you are giving the most critical feedback that no one else is willing to give. And you're giving me, uh, like a game plan to improve. Okay. So that, that kind of honest feedback. Yeah. I was just like, okay, well I can trust you to, that you have my best interests in mind.
0: So when are you going to learn guard retention?
1: <laughs> well, uh, have, have you ever passed my guard? I don't think I've ever been in your guard. I don't think you've ever passed a guard. <laughs> Although at the wall wrestling
0: seminar, I was shocked at how strong you were you know what it is fat it, yes basically I, I have what we call the judo body type <laughs> very very round and low center of gravity shock it's, it's shockingly true. hard to move someone with that body type that's it's why true. i think you see all of these like little squat judo guys who can just absolutely kill you it's because how do you take someone down with that body yeah. type right it's very very challenging um
1: I, I like i like how you broke it down in terms of the the four kind of main criteria that people could could um could use to give belts. And I, I honestly think that, uh, as a gym owner, as a, as an instructor, that it, it it's a mixture of the things like, mm-hmm. like the way that I do it at my school, it's, it's pretty, um, I don't have like a, a set in stone criteria for yeah. promotions. You know, I think it really comes down to your, the instructor and, and the tone of the school. You know, mm-hmm. if it's a, if it's a family based school, it's by that, I mean, recreational and not competitive at all. And there are schools like that. Generally, it's time-based and not merit-based. Whereas Rob's school is the extreme of merit-based. It's like, if you're not showing these skills, you're not getting promoted. And and he's told me that there are people in my school that will never get a black belt. And that is honest, brutal feedback that like somebody like me hungers for other people might get deterred from that because they say, well, if I'm putting in this time, I want to get my black belt. But that's like saying that everyone should graduate from university. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like not everyone should graduate from university. Not everyone should be a doctor. Not everyone has the qualifications or the, or the abilities to do that. So Well I
0: would even break it down further and say that, look, just because one school won't give you a black belt because you don't measure up to their standard, that doesn't necessarily mean that nobody will ever give you a black belt. It just means that what you want out of jujitsu probably doesn't really align with that school. And I, I, don't, think exactly. that's, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it is, for example, with the example you gave, I mean, yes, maybe you don't have the the passion and just the the innate talent and the drive to become a medical doctor, but that doesn't mean that you can't become like a doctor of statistics or a doctor of engineering or something you know it's there's other paths and it is possible i think to to attain that status but you need to find someone who kind of teaches the sort of jiu-jitsu that you want. And I think that's why it is important when you go to a club to understand what is your promotion criteria. Uh, because mm-hmm. you're right, it, won't, it likely isn't going to be the case that your school is going to say, we are 100% time-based. Usually every school weighs each of these things differently. Yes. But I think it is important to have that talk with your instructor and just ask, like, how do you define success? How do you reward belt promotions? Because it's going to be different for everybody. And in the example that you gave, where you're talking about relative skill, that can vary as well, because some schools will say, you know, we've got a standard of skill that we expect for brown belt, um, but maybe that only pertains within their school. Whereas some people like Rob might say, we have a relative skill that we hold internationally you know if we give you a black belt we want you to be good enough that you can hang with black belts anywhere in the world whereas some people might basically say like we've got our own system and this is what black belt means to us so maybe they're only weighing the scales based on their local culture so there's different ways to do it and there's pros and cons to each I mean I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other but I do think that it's important to have that discussion with your instructor I mean my school the way that my instructor describes Uh, belt promotions is as a personal journey he doesn't really care so much about how you stack up to other black belts he views jujitsu as a vehicle for personal growth so you don't have to be going out there smashing people with your own belt rank but you need to be growing at a level that merits leveling up and going to the next level like there you need to be patching those holes you need to have the technical knowledge that you can achieve things at certain levels doesn't mean you're always going to crush people who are a belt rank below you but it's really a measuring stick against yourself Uh, but not all schools are going to do that right Uh, it, it just really comes down to exactly what your team's individual culture is
1: yeah, I think if the instructor is more about um, money and and making his business his or her business the most profitable profitable it can be, generally you're going to see promotions less merit based and more time based. Yeah, that is most likely the um, case. And if your instructor is very serious and uh, a competitor and wants to wants to foster a competitive atmosphere, you're probably going to see more belts and promotions given out based on abilities. Um, I view it as uh, a bit more of a merit-based system than time, but I do also have guys that I realize will never be elite grapplers. And, Um, you know, like I have, I have students, for example, that do give back to the community in different ways, whether they, uh, teach jujitsu, uh, you know, like one of my guys teaches jujitsu at a high school and shares the art that way and sort of introduces kids to Mm jujitsu. And, uh, you know, he, he needs to be recognized for that, not just technical ability. I have, I have students that, um, you know, do, they, they help me teach kids and stuff like that. And, and, uh, they, they give back in those ways. They still need to demonstrate, a certain level of technique before I'm comfortable, like putting a brown belt or, or even a purple belt on them. But generally speaking, I'm looking for, like certain core fundamental under, understanding like obviously they need to know about alignment that's mm-hmm. that's just like that's white belt stuff at my school you need to learn guard retention and guard retention movements you know you're not going to get a brown belt or a purple belt if you're constantly getting your guard passed or you have no idea how to dig yourself out of top pins and stuff like that you need to have top pressure passing things like that um And, you know, you need to be able to control the back. You got to be able to understand the, the different systems that we use in the school, like, you know, for basically like, you know, Kimura system, leg lock system, back control system. And then you need to be able to join them all together. And then just as each belt progresses, you need to have a deeper understanding and obviously higher competency in, in each of those settings and yeah. then in terms of like a black belt promotion i'm ne- i'm very young black belt i've never given a black belt but i would imagine that the day when the day comes that i do give someone a black belt they need to be a competent instructor so mm-hmm. at that point it shifts from competency because technically at brown belt you should you should be reaching the level of mastery almost at this point if we're yeah. going to use the term mastery right and then at the, the like you mentioned earlier like when you become a black belt you're essentially now a professor. Mm-hmm you know, it's going to be more about how are you helping people in the gym? How are you sharing jujitsu? Do you have a, uh, are you competent in teaching someone jujitsu and yeah. not just like, yeah. you know, teaching jujitsu to a universal, uh, like in a in a room of people that'll apply to everyone, not just, you know, I, well, I'm 300 pounds, so I use this type of jujitsu. That's not going to work for someone who's 140 pounds, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think that at the black belt level, it becomes less about individual skill and more about what you're giving back to the community my instructor always said that the difference between a brown belt and a black belt is basically negligible like a brown belt is basically a young black belt and actually realistically like once someone gets to purple belt level they're probably a killer at that point you know it's just a matter of refinement
1: at at the highest level now purple belts are definitely black belts in a lot of a lot of training rooms in the the world like the level of jujitsu is just getting so high now that You're easily, you have purple belts that can be black belts on any given day. And then you start
0: to wonder, like, do the belts really mean anything? That's a good point. I mean, I don't really like the belt system at all. We've talked about this before. I think that having a belt system kind of leads into just bad behavior and focusing on the wrong thing. But I also understand that it's this ingrained part of the art. I do think, though, that once you get to black belt, the focus kind of shifts. And if you're going to give a black belt to someone... I'm kind of looking for someone who is a good ambassador to the art, right? That I think is the most important thing. If you are a like elite level brown belt, but you either can't teach or you have no interest in teaching and helping people get better, or alternately, if you're just a bad representative of the art, then I think that's like a deal breaker at getting to the next level. I mean, if you've got someone who is just like a total dick and they're making the whole jujitsu community look bad, then. I think that regardless of how individually good you are it's hard to justify giving someone like that a black belt because at that point you're basically saying you know you're kind of inviting these people into the fold and saying you rep you are supposed to represent the best of us so if you've got someone who is just you know just completely destroying the culture of your gym and is constantly in trouble like I I kind of feel like you have to hold people to a standard of ethics and integrity once they're going to get to the black belt level and they also have to have an interest in improving jujitsu for everyone else right I mean i don't i don't think you should be a mat bully if you're a black belt i think that you have to be at that level more interested in giving back to the people around you than you are at just focusing on yourself
1: yeah definitely like the first 10 years in jiu-jitsu which you basically coined as you know the journey it's like mm-hmm. white to black that's kind of where you're gonna see you know a, a lot of different growth once you get to black belt I'm not saying you, you don't stop growing because you certainly do, but things do become more about passing on knowledge, I find, yeah. unless you're like, unless you are a pure competitor, which there are those out there, right? Um, yeah. And definitely, you know, people on a personal level, and how they conduct themselves on and off the mats is really important as well. Like if you're a shitty human being, first of all, you're probably going to get kicked out. (laughs) You know, I I probably don't want you training at my school if I don't think that you're acting ethically or you're a good person to be Mm -hmm. around. Um, but you know, it's also true that it's possible that certain people will be held to different standards. Like if I have a student who's showing up every day and he wants to be a world champion, and that's his goal i might be more i might expect more of that person i might expect more of their skills because now we're comparing them on a world stage right and it's also kind of used as a bit of a motivator whereas someone who's completely recreational you know comes in twice a week or whatever and and doesn't really compete or things like that it's you know it it might have a different standard yeah and i also think i've also i'm a firm believer that You know, as the head instructor, you should, whether you're talking about adults or kids, you need to roll with your students to really know where they're at. Yes. And I feel that uh, a lot of instructors out there don't necessarily always do that. And a lot of instructors certainly don't roll with the kids, which I think is, you know, maybe as I get older, my, my opinion will change. But I always roll with the kids because I feel like there's no other way to really know um where they're at and because I like to beat up kids.
0: Yeah. I see I like to roll with the kids because I want to have a few good years of just totally destroying them. Because I know eventually they're gonna get their grown up strength and they're gonna kick my ass. That's right. And I want to be able to rack up so many wins against them that they'll never be able to equal the score, right? Yeah. We've got this one kid at our school who is just a total prodigy and he always has been. But at least when he was like 13 years old i could wreck shop on him but Mm. now he's in there he's maybe 16 17 he's tapping everybody like the guy is phenomenal but i can always say i probably tapped him like hundreds of times more than he's tapped me because i (laughs) sparred with him before he was even a teenager so that's right yeah no it's good to see prodigies coming up and like get your licks in while
1: they can (laughs) (laughs) because they're out there right like kids are starting at such a young age now um that they just by the time some of these kids by the time they're like 15 16 they're You know, like they're just unreal. (laughs) Like I started when I was like 20, 21 and yeah, I, now I look at the growth that some of these kids have and it's just insane. It's And
0: the level of training is so different from when we started. I mean, I remember when you and I started, there were maybe a handful of schools in the BC lower mainland that you could train at. And in terms of knowledge that was out there, there was submissions 101, and there Which was is the best, the best of course. And there were a, <laughs> there were a few early casting DVDs, but even Stefan Kesting was just getting started at the time. Like he wasn't at that time bringing in experts. He was just doing his own thing. And there were a few like random instructional DVDs, but most of them were not very good. That was all you had. And now like the biggest problem that I have is there's this this overwhelming abundance of quality content and so the question is not how do I get this information the question is I've got this ocean of amazing information and I've only got so many hours in the day so what do I focus my very limited time on Mm -hmm. and it's a very different problem and it shows when you're sparring with some of these kids because you've got these like white belts who are doing barambolos and doing worm guard, and they're good at it and then I remember like I didn't even learn how to do like an omoplata until I was blue belt and these guys are doing this crazy high level stuff it's a lot like the public education system where you know stuff that we would have learned in grade 12 the kids now are learning in yeah. grade 7 yeah. uh, just there's more there's compression of information as more knowledge is acquired and the teaching techniques get better yeah. and it's basically what I'm trying to say is that the next generation is going to crush us so yeah, we've got to get all quicker. yeah so we've got to get all of those submissions and now while we can because eventually they're going to lap us and you know we want them yeah. to remember when they were just they were the nail (laughs) that's right i
1: I have parents that come up to me before kids class and they're like oh you know so and so has been real cocky around the house and you know i just just so you know i want you to to take him out (laughs) like like feel free to go hard on him and then you know during practice i'm like hey i know that this is uh this is revenge in a way for (laughs) that, and i'm doing it in a safe controlled environment so and it's good for the kids too you know to get like knocked down a peg or whatever and then they get back up um i was actually having this conversation with with one of my uh one of my really good friends that trains with me and we have a few junior students that are you know not not super young like 20 23 like pretty pretty young and the the level of skill that that this guy has acquired, not my buddy, but one of my junior students, he's acquired more in two years than I probably did in like six or seven years. And that's because, like you said, all the knowledge that I've acquired over a decade, I'm trying to now... Uh, uh, you know, break down into systems and concepts uh, just through Rob's teaching. And I'm able to like basically upload that information into my, into my students much quicker. And as a result, they
0: benefit from the lessons that were learned before them. So they have an easier, better paved road to mastery than we ever had.
1: Yeah. Like they have all the knowledge, but it's, it's kind of like been condensed. Yeah. And And it's structured in such a way
0: that it's much easier to absorb into practice.
1: Exactly. And, And it, and it'll happen again when they be, when they step into a professor role in whatever a decade, they're going to be able to pass that knowledge on and to, to kids that have trained a decade earlier than they did, you know, yeah. like some kids start when they're like three, four or five, and then, you know, they, they're, they're going to get access to some really good instruction hopefully. And then, uh, you know, sky's the limit for when you start at that age, right? If you put that much time into something.
0: Yeah. My daughter's about to turn three and today was her first jujitsu class and she loved it. It was actually really funny. I saw the
1: video. It was adorable. It it
0: was funny because at the end of the class, they do the stripe promotion. And of course, you know, with kids, they like, they get stripes every two weeks or whatever. (laughs) But My daughter was sitting there and she saw these other kids getting stripes and she kept saying, I want a stripe. I want a stripe. Can I have a stripe? When do I get a stripe? (laughs) So we had to explain to her, you don't get them every single day you're not going to necessarily yeah. get one on your first class
1: yeah and, and that's that's funny you say that like um I don't know if people like we could, this is actually quite a deep topic. Like we could really go on talking about kids promotions, you know, and when I first opened a school and I realized that I would actually have to learn the IBJJF kids belt rank, I looked at it and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? There's four (laughs) belts for kids and each belt has three like subsects of belts. Yeah. So the, so the colors are, are, you know,
0: there's the white white, stripe and the red stripe. Yeah. yeah. White,
1: gray, uh, yellow, Mm -hmm. orange, green. And then the next would be blue as an yeah. adult. And each belt has three you know, it's like it's like so by the time yellow you get and white, to, yep. yellow flat, and yellow and black stripes. Yeah. So
0: by the time you get to blue belt, you've already had like two hundred promotions. Yeah.
1: And this is and this is where it, you know, if you're really like, if you have no shame as a business owner, you can really make a lot of money because five I know, bucks
0: per stripe, baby. No,
1: I know. I know some businesses that charge like 40 a stripe, Yeah, you yeah. know, some, some gym owners charge like 40 a stripe. And then they're going through, like you said, like sometimes with kids, I think that system is made to keep them promoted often. Yeah. yeah. Right. And at my school, what we've done is, is, uh, I bought some gray and white stripes belts thinking that i was going to follow that model but then i looked at it again yeah we just now like even though some kids have gray and white belts i just call that a gray belt and then we're just going to go for flat flat belt colors because they don't do different divisions right a gray belt and a gray and black belt is going to be in the same division so i'm just like i'm not gonna buy all these different belts all the time and have and be giving kids new belts like there's something to be said about uh, wanting something, you know, and having to work for something.
0: So this is actually my biggest problem with the belt system as a whole, but it is especially pronounced with the kids' belt system. I mean, it, if you follow the IBJJF kids' promotion system, like kids are getting promotions every one or two weeks. It's ridiculous. And because you strike each subsect of
1: color, it's like, yeah. so each belt has, here, let me just do my math in my head. That would be, uh, 12. 12 stripes possibly it's a lot like it's crazy that's that's a lot and then and then you have four belts not including the white belt yeah right so it's like that's tons of promotions and if you're a businessman and you're just like oh i'm just gonna charge the parent every time they're gonna have to do a belt test and stripe testing it's like you're talking about tons of money here
0: yeah well even even putting aside charging even assuming that you just give those stripes to people for free, I still don't like the model. And the reason why is because the reason we have so many stripes for kids is because there's this understanding that holding a kid's attention is very, very difficult and they want constant gratification and they're not going to be interested and they're not going to stay interested unless they're getting promotions and basically all the time. And my question is, is that really the lesson that you want to be yeah. teaching kids? Like, do you really want to be encouraging them to seek this instant gratification? That's exactly it. Yeah, it's, it's
1: like it's like a uh, participation trophies, basically. You well, know, it's
0: at like- least with the participation trophy, you tried and you did something i mean if you're just giving people stripes every second or third class that's just distracting them that's just shiny objects they have like there's really no reason to do that it's not measuring anything and it's not instilling the notion that you need to work hard now to see reward later and even for the adult system i don't like it because people start hunting stripes and they start hunting belts and they're focusing on the wrong thing i mean if you are like a wrestler you don't have like belted wrestler it's just no there's no promotion yeah you go in and it's like you learn and you're good or you're not right you go
1: in you practice and you care about getting better
0: exactly i think that the whole belt and stripe thing encourages this constant hedonic treadmill of trying to seek the next promotion and you're so focused on that so that you can have that cool belt and have people think you're a badass you're so focused on that that you're not actually focused on what really matters which is learning and growing as a human being Um, I personally like the old way of just not having any belts at all you know everyone wears a white belt except for the instructor I love that idea I think that the really putting any sort of mythical power into the belt is a bad thing. I don't like the belt system because I think it encourages people to obsess over the belt system. There is a, what is it called? There's a law called Goodhart's law. And basically it says that any objective metric that you try to set up to measure something, as soon as you start focusing on it, it ceases to become a good way to measure something. You see this Mm -hmm. a lot in companies where like, if you try to set up some sort of metric that you want to measure everyone on, then everyone's just going to start gaming that metric and caring about that metric. And before you know it, you're not going to be measuring anything useful. A good example of this, I think it was in India, they introduced a bounty for snake hunters. Basically they wanted to cut down on like the snake population. I, I may be totally butchering this, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but basically they wanted to cut down on the snake population. So they decided, well, we'll pay people X whatever, every time they bring us like a dead snake. So basically they're tr- they're trying to cut down on the population they start breeding snakes exactly that's exactly what happened these people just started breeding snakes so that they could bring in dead ones and collect the bounty and it's like okay you created this metric at thinking you were going to solve a problem but you made it worse because now instead of focusing on solving the problem people focused on jacking up the metric
1: it's It's pretty obvious that india should just introduce whacking day
0: yeah definitely
1: (laughs) which is that, my favorite holiday which
0: would be a far better way of cutting down on snakes than actually paying people for snakes uh, but i do love the sexy slither of a lady snake <laughs> hey i got a question for you have you watched the simpsons in the last 10 15 years no yeah because I, I don't even know if it's bad anymore it's on
1: disney plus is if it? you're evil enough oh to that's have disney right plus, because it's but, uh which i am because i have children i know i like to indoctrinate them with disney movies but, <laughs> but it, there is simpsons on there and yeah i mean the first like twelve, fourteen seasons are amazing, and then after that it's just like I just lost interest.
0: Well, you know what the thing is the first few seasons were just amazing, and then the next many years of it were just not good. At this point, I don't even know if it's good or bad anymore because I don't know anyone who's watched The Simpsons in yeah. the last ten years. It might be amazing again. I have no clue.
1: Like when I was a kid, Simpsons was the best show. Even like ten years ago, I was yeah. like, Simpsons is the best like comedy, especially cartoon show that has ever been made. Now it's like you talk to a kid about Simpsons, they're like, Oh yeah, that show. Well, That's yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it's not even like
0: anything to them. It's I just know. gone
1: on for so long. They should have cut it down in its prime, but they're all you know, all about the money, right? Yeah.
0: Well, it's like Rob said, when we were talking about the Simpsons with him, the Simpsons had an amazing glory period, but as a whole, it's not a great show because it's been bad more than it's been good over the 30 plus year history. Yeah. Yep.
1: Glory whole period. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite things.
0: Well, you know, this is actually, it kind of ties into jujitsu as well, because I, I have a question for you there are some students who are just old, right? You know, some, not everyone starts Jiu Jitsu when they're 20 or 15. Some people start when they're 40 or 50. Um, How do you measure someone at that level? Can you really fairly do it? Like, is it really fair to say to someone, you know, you'll never get to black belt because you'll just never be that good when a lot of it is just age? No,
1: it's not fair. Like if you have someone who joins in their 40 and they really love it and they try really hard and they do make great improvements, but they might not be like, internationally if they go to worlds at blue at their age they're gonna lose it's like well that doesn't mean that they don't deserve a blue Mm -hmm. it just you know it's that's why i say you know you have to be flexible you can't just be like a hundred percent um you know, firm in your, in your criteria, I think it varies from, uh, obviously each instructor has a different way that they, they grade and each student deserves a different criteria because let's be honest, like not everyone is, is the same. Not everyone goes into jujitsu for the same purposes and not everyone, uh, is the same age or has the same athletic abilities. I think it really does have to be a flexible, uh, promotion criteria based Mm -hmm. on the individual. Yeah. But I think that as long as you're an instructor that is, ethically speaking and morally speaking, you are operating from a, from a, a point of view of trying to, trying to cultivate the most authentic and highest, highest level of jujitsu possible rather than make the most money possible. You're going to, you're going to be successful. Yeah. I, fu- you know, guys that are, are, uh, that promote just purely on, you know, trying to get, trying to give belt, trying to give belts
0: away and stripes away because it brings in revenue. Yeah. Or because it keeps you on the hook, right? That's, I think a lot of why people give these stripes so frequently is because it creates kind of this hedonic treadmill where you're always coming back for the next one. I mean, it's it's amazing how much you can brainwash someone with five cents worth of hockey tape. It is amazing. It's amazing.
1: And, and you know, in my school, most of the people there, if not all of them, because of the environment, most of them, when I promote them, they, they tell me, I don't think, I don't think I was ready or yeah. I, I'm, you know, like not pretty much none of my students that I'm aware of hunt the promotion. Mm-hmm. And that's because we have an environment of authenticity and, and standards. It, and also
0: because you guys never wear geese. So therefore you never wear true. belts. That's also
1: true. We wear gee gi like 20% of the time, but, but no, no, still like, you know, we, we're not, we don't set up a, we, some schools are like, Oh, sign up for your belt uh, for your stripe test and things like that. It's like, yeah, that so, stuff is so you're using it as a marketing tool. And you're made, like you said, you're keeping people on the hook. Like, Oh, I better sign up for my stripe test or I'm not going to get striped. It's like, what kind of a business practice is that? Like, yeah. this is the instructor should be basing it on the individual. And, you know, I think, I think the majority should be based upon merit, but there's definitely, Mm -hmm. there's definitely going to be exceptions where you can, you could promote someone based on time, based on what they do for the community and, and what they do for the school and also personal growth. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as well. I think it's a, it's a balance and it's, it's at the instructor's discretion. But again, if your instructor only thinks about money, and you know growing their business and retiring early and things like that then you're going to have issues if your instructor genuinely cares about the development of each person in the room and cares about jujitsu and cares about advancing jujitsu uh you know then you're going to have good times
0: yeah i think that regardless of what promotion strategy or criteria your instructor uses really there's two things that you as a student should look for from your instructor to tell whether they're ethical and honest about this. One is they should be completely open and transparent about how and why they promote. It shouldn't be some magical, mysterious thing that nobody understands. He should be able to, or she should be able to fully explain it and justify it to you. And it should be a standard that you can look at every other student in the gym and apply to.
1: Yeah. Like you should be able to go to your instructor and, and say, you know what do i need to do for yes. the next promotion for yeah. the next stripe whatever if your gym doesn't do stripe the next belt yeah. right I exactly think, like when i got to brown i i told my instructor i, I don't want stripes i want to go into tournaments without people yeah. knowing like how a lot of people
0: do that belt. i mean i've trained yeah. at schools where they'll stripe you right up until brown and then they just give you a brown belt and you wear it for a few years and then they give you the black there's no stripes yeah. a lot of people have done that and i wonder if it's i wonder if it's a combination of giving competitive advantage, but Possibly, yeah. but also it could just be a psychological thing like to wean you off of this addictive need for stripes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would say another thing that's very important in addition to just your instructor being honest and open with you about the promotion strategy and criteria. The other thing that's important is they take the time to evaluate you personally and come up with a strategy that works for you personally if your instructor doesn't even know you exist and the only reason you're getting promoted is because the punch card system says it's time to get promoted that's not really the greatest i mean no. it doesn't mean you'll never
1: offer a plan of improvement
0: exactly it doesn't mean you'll never get better and it doesn't mean that your instructor doesn't care about you but it just means that you're probably not maximizing the value that you could get out of instruction because you're not getting that kind of custom tailored attention at every good gym i've ever been to regardless of how or why they promote or what the affiliation is if it's a good gym the instructor will directly pay attention to you and they'll know your game they'll know your holes and your weaknesses and they'll know what you have to do to get to the next level and they'll know how they're going to measure you getting there. Mm -hmm. Um, That was actually one of the reasons why i stick or stuck with the gym that i'm at now for so long was because my instructor was paying tons of attention like he could sit down and explain to me exactly where my holes are and what to work on and what was going to get me to the next level whereas well, i he came, knew
1: your holes already yeah oh yeah
0: he my my holes were like an open book to him but at my previous school like i don't even think they knew my last name like you know i i was just a number your in number. the attendance system yeah so And it's funny with
1: kids, uh, kids a lot of the time will ask you about the next stripe, but they're not asking like, what do I need to do to improve? They just say, do I get a stripe today? You know, and like it happens all the time and I don't necessarily, uh, well I can't say that I don't deter it because sometimes kids ask so often you're like okay this is yeah. getting annoying like, that is
0: one thing you have to bear in mind is that for kids a month is like a lifetime whereas for adults we've just got so much context we've been around for so long that a month can pass in the blink of an eye so for a kid really two weeks feels for, like forever yeah
1: and I think like one of the best things you can do during promotions with kids is is l- let certain kids not get promoted and let them see other kids get promoted yeah. and what that does is it really does create a change because it motivates them yeah. right so it actually it's the opposite of over promotion which you think will motivate kids but really like you said all it does is basically hooks them up to that drip yeah and they just need that drip over and over i need to get my new stripe i need to get my new stripe mm-hmm. whereas if you're more frugal with your stripes and you, you let them see other kids that are getting promoted it, it it's a much more genuine motivated motivational tool i think yeah as an it instructor. is you ever
0: heard of the marshmallow test
1: uh no I'm trying to think of a joke. I missed it. No.
0: No. Okay, too bad. So um a long time ago there was a very famous psychological study that was done on children because this, this was like back in the 60s or 50s, where I guess it was okay to experiment on kids. Anyway, <laughs> oh, well. anyway, basically what they did was they sat a bunch of kids down in the room, put some marshmallows in front of them, and basically said, Oh yes, yeah, I know about this. Yeah. Yes. Basically they were trying to test their willpower. Yeah. Like, are are you can you put off instant gratification? You know, you can either have this marshmallow now, or if you wait for however Five long, minutes or something, yeah, you, you can it. have two marshmallows. Yeah. And what they found was that the kids who could control their impulses and force themselves to, Wait, weight just by measuring this marshmallow test they could dramatically predict who is going to be successful in life later because it turns out the ability to delay instant gratification is one of the most important things you can teach children so as yeah. an instructor you got to keep that in mind i mean i know that kids get freaky and they cry and they whine and it's hard to hold back you know it's hard to hold back a kid and not give them what they want as a parent like yeah. oh it, it, it's yeah, hard it is emotionally hard to not just give in and give your kid yes. what they want because you want your kid to be happy but long term the best thing you can do is teach them delayed gratification, teach them to, to wait now so that they can have more later or so that they can, you know, they can grow more over the long-term and get more later learning instant grat- learning how to t- defer instant gratification Basically, is like one of the ways that you teach someone strategy. You're teaching them put off the, the quick win now so yeah. that you can get the bigger win later, and that is so crucial. So sometimes you got to sit down with little Johnny and be like, "Look, Johnny, I mean, your delahiva is shit, so I'm not giving you a stripe."
1: Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's so true. And I think honestly, I think as we progress in society, you might not
0: want to tell him that his delahiva is shit. A lot of parents get mad if you swear in front of their kids.
1: Yeah, well, maybe
0: he needs to hear it. <laughs>
1: Maybe he needs to do more worm guard. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. he's doing with Dallaheva. He should be learning worm He should be learning worm guard. He be be learning worm guard. Um, but no, it's true. And like, it's funny. Like we could discuss. Uh, we could segue into a new topic about how like you know society nowadays we got to be so goddamn comfortable and we need that instant gratification like i feel like uh it, it, people can't hear honest feedback anymore or th- if they have to wait for something or you know you we're getting used to giving stuff without earning it and especially indoctrinating kids with like participation medals and things like that like it, it has the opposite effect like yeah. we're so goddamn comfortable as a society we d-
0: we demand comfort and we demand instant gratification and we're furious when we can't get it
1: yeah like yeah. like like everything has to be so easy think yeah. about think about convenience uh things things in our life that are uh, con- uh convenient compared to like a hundred years ago things that people had uh, to go to a hundred and-
0: years ago think of 10 years ago do you remember when like you needed to get directions to go somewhere and it took like 60 minutes of yeah. just planning to be like okay i gotta find a map and i got to draw the route and i got to figure out the landmarks or like before you could actually text someone
1: and you don't have that instant communication with someone it's like it's and i think as a result with all of this um instant gratification and and stuff like that it really has a negative effect because we're learning less we have Mm -hmm. more information but we're learning less we're not
0: challenged to the same extent we're
1: definitely not challenged and uh, i think we're softer as a society Mm -hmm. and um and yeah, I, I just feel like, uh, people are, are honestly stupider, yeah. <laughs> stupider or, and, and are less happy too. I I, I, think, I think they're
0: definitely, yeah, I think definitely, I mean, granted, I don't have a statistical study in front of me, but it really feels like people are less happy. I think the thing is I wouldn't say they're stupider, but I'd say that they're less inclined to self-improve and to make the hard decisions they need to do and to try well, to improve. Well they're smart, played. but they're like, intellectually lazy if that makes sense like
1: i feel like i feel like uh struggle brings mental toughness it brings Mm -hmm. character right if you're if your life is so comfortable you're gonna nitpick at the things that you wish were easier and nothing's ever good enough and oh this is so inconvenient when it's like like motherfucker like my grandma <laughs> my grandma probably had to like do wash clothes by hand yeah like yeah, we yeah. have like washing machines you throw all this laundry and it comes out clean it's yeah. like you know and then you can go do other stuff so it's like the more things that we try to accomplish mm-hmm. it's like uh the more time we have to accomplish things the more busier yeah. our day gets and the more pissed off we get because yeah. we feel more busy like like our our ancestors had to go out and milk cows and yeah. come back and like that took hours yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know or they had to go like do laundry that took hours then they had to hang it you yeah. know and like you really didn't put that shirt in the wash unless it was fucking dirty Yeah. nowadays yeah, yeah. i wear a shirt once i'm like okay i'm just gonna throw in the washing machine yeah.
0: it, it, there's not there's no dirt on it and it doesn't smell but i'm still gonna wash it anyway
1: <laughs> it's, it, exactly it's so true like we and and i really feel like like uh and and this is actually something that um what's his name uh is it russell bertrand russell
0: bertrand is a fascinating he's a brilliant guy i believe he said that um wait not not russell what the hell is his name you're talking about the scruffy guy who dated Katy perry right Russell no, Brand? That's Russell Brand. Okay, wrong guy.
1: Bertrand Russell, I believe is his name. He he, he was a guy uh I hope he, I was I hoping we from, would talk about Russell Brand. <laughs> I, be, I I could totally be butchering this. I've been listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, but I haven't it's been literally a year since I've studied World War 1, but basically he was I believe uh an English an English politician or or ph- possibly philosopher and he basically just said that like war is uh like peace the idea of peace is not even a virtuous goal like it's not a go- war brings out the best in man even though it's horrible War and times of struggle creates tough men, tough societies and, and builds character. Whereas if society gets too soft and you're in peacetime for too long, then all of a sudden things become very much different, very much based around how can we be, everything be comfortable? How can everything be safe? And as a result, uh, people generally become softer and not as, and you know, they they can't handle challenges. They're not as good, not as well versed, uh, in adversity. I don't necessarily think that war is a good thing and i don't think that uh, peace is not virtuous or not good but, but i think, I, I,
0: think I, I think he's on to, a good thing yeah.
1: exactly resistance builds muscle right like in order to build muscle you have to meet you have to be met with challenge and i think that that's something that we're trying to take out of society right now is we want our kids to be so comfortable and 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 we don't want to give them that hard feedback when really that's really what's good for them
0: yeah yeah i mean i'll give you an interesting example because it's not just kids um I, I mean, I work in software and I've worked at a lot of bad software companies who really kind of abuse their employees. And by that, I mean, they just make them work ridiculously hard for no benefit to them. So they'll ask their people to work like 80 or hundred hours a week or whatever. Yeah. And honestly, if, if you've ever run a, a business for a long period of time, you know that there's very diminishing returns in doing that. It's always going to wind up hurting you in the end. But when I got into management, I decided... I was just not going to be that guy. I was going to make sure that we never overworked our staff. We would only ask people to put in the time that we were entitled to do. And we'd be very fair. And we wanted everything to be nice and easy. And what we found, um, was it actually got to the point where employees complained about this because we, we would get very wanted to work hard. Yeah. We would get very rigid about this and be like, not a second of overtime. Like you pack up and you leave at five o'clock. Like we do not want you. And even during those eight hours where where they were, there. we tried not to stress them we tried to make sure everything was easy they knew exactly what to do they didn't have to stress and that worked okay for about six months and then productivity dropped and then one day they came to us and they were like we're just, we just there's no challenge here yeah. like you're what you not care ask, as much yeah what you're asking us to do is so patently easy that i just like i feel like a just a hamster in a cage right so what we did then was we ratcheted up the tension a little bit and we realized that there is a there's a healthy level of stress that you need to provide people mm-hmm. you don't want to burn them out or kill them but you need to be putting enough pressure that people are forced to respond and and they're forced to grow so this is something that i've actually learned working in in business is that a lot of the things that you think are frustrating when you're the employee when you become the manager you realize actually there's good reason for doing it like if you make everything perfect for your employee you're, they're going to wind up hating it. It's like that scene in The Matrix where uh, I was Hugo Weaving, Agent Smith is, goes on and he's like, you know, we used to make this matrix perfect for you guys, but you all hated it. You wanted it to be miserable. So it's it's the same thing. There has to be some degree of realistic tension and resistance or people are not engaged that's yeah. just part of being human and I think part of the reason why everyone is so snipey online and frustrated and difficult all the time is because they don't actually have a real challenge in their lives to rally against or something a real goal to seek so they kind of just lash out and make challenges where they see them and I think that's why so much of modern society just seems like unproductive but are you kind of describing communism in a way like making everything equal making everyone work
1: the same amount and then in this in and then you get the same return where it's (laughs) like you kind of take away the the ambitious uh part of of having a career and like there's certain people that are happy to do little and then there's that that part of the population that really wants to do the extra hours they're obsessive and they really want to see how far they can do it and then what what doing something like what your company did suppresses those people and as a result you don't see people like reaching these high levels no
0: that's not what i mean because what i'm saying here is it's not that we wanted like to set some sort of like equal distribution standard it's more just that we didn't want to force people to be overly stressed. We wanted to reduce stress levels so that people weren't burning out, right? Because I'd I'd seen that in previous careers. So it wasn't like a matter of like redistributing wealth or anything. It was more just, we didn't want to put, we didn't want our employees to be like too stressed out. And then I realized at some point after doing this for years that, Employees do want a degree of stress. There's a there's a dial, right? It's not an on or off thing. There is a level of stress that is healthy and engages people. It's when you push beyond that and you start just like yeah. asking people for more than you should be, that's when it becomes a problem. But in general, there needs to be some degree of stress, or people just don't feel engaged, right? Yeah, maybe
1: maybe maybe communism's the wrong word because I didn't mean the distri- equal distribution yeah. of wealth. It's but more, more
0: trying to make things too comfortable for people.
1: Exactly. Trying to which communism certainly did not. But <laughs> yeah. (laughs) um, (laughs)
0: Well, I don't think communism was ever necessarily about trying to make things—I mean, granted, I'm not a political scientist, but communism, I think, was more about, like, fairness, right? Like, everyone is entitled to the same share of whatever. But I think,
1: like, it sounds like you want everyone to have an equal share of stress, which is limited.
0: Well, we we didn't want to—my strategy was I didn't want to unduly— Ask people for more than as a manager, I felt I was entitled to ask to, which I is a principle I still adhere to, right? Like I don't have any right to ask someone to work 80 hours a week. But for the time they do spend with us, what I do need to do is provide realistic challenges that help this person grow. Because if you give someone just this incredibly comfortable utopian environment and the job is super easy and there's no challenge. They're going to quit. Like it doesn't matter how mm. much fun it is. It doesn't matter how much you pay them. People do ultimately want to be engaged, right? It's hard to get better and it's hard to advance your career if there is no challenge on the job. There's got to be some challenge all the time, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. and and just like working in the culinary industry for over a decade, I realized that, most cooks will, will be working more hours than they're expected. Mm -hmm. And what happened at the hotel when, by the time I was leaving, when I started, the hotel was just like, if you did overtime, you didn't even get paid. Like Mm -hmm. it was, it was more of the old school culinary industry. And by the time that I got out of that hotel, it was, um, you know, they were starting to force you to take breaks and they had made a complete shift in culture. And what had happened was a lot of the cooks actually got pissed off about that. They wanted to work more. Um, I, I, I kind of felt that uh, it was good to take breaks because I was kind of sick of standing on my feet for nine <laughs> hours a day. But I can totally see how being stressed out and being under pressure actually brings out the best in not only you, not only people as workers, but us as a society and and the accomplishment accomplishments we make. Um, when I quit cooking and made the full uh, switch to having a gym, I I realized that I had tons of time on my hands. Right, mm-hmm. and it and honestly, it took me about a year of just enjoying that free time before I felt motivated to like really step things up because I had worked so many hours every day for years. And then I was kind of in with like, I don't think withdrawals the right term, but when I quit my job, I was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm content staying home and just chilling, Mm -hmm. you know? But then after about a year of that, you start being like, Oh man, like I have so much free time now. Um, I need to actually take it upon myself to challenge myself. Right. So now it's like, um, it gives me more time to be a better father it gives me more time to to clean up around the house and to try and learn things and and study philosophy and things like that so you really will have like uh some for some people if your life is really comfortable there's very few of us that have like a super comfortable life but you'll have to like take it upon yourself to find challenges if you're not going to a job that's stressing you out right yeah
0: it was a big game changer for me when i realized that stress is not inherently bad too much stress is bad But there is such a thing as a healthy level of stress, and you don't want to deprive people of that. You want to give people that kind of challenge because that's how you grow, that's how you stay engaged. If you don't give that to them, they're going to find a way to stress in some other way. And it may not be that productive. Very true. Yeah. And that's why I think with, you know, when you're teaching both kids and adults, you don't want to create this culture of instant gratification around promotions. I mean, for all of the times that we shit on Helio Gracie, I do agree with the general philosophy that, look, you shouldn't really have complex belt ranking systems in your gym. I think jujitsu would be a lot better if we didn't have the belt system, but the reality is we do. And so the question is within that structure that we have, how do we make sure that people are focusing on the right thing?
1: Right? I I I do disagree with Steve like I actually like the belt system and it's there's I have reasons for that like uh, in terms of competitions, it's important to like you couldn't just have everyone as a white belt until they reach black belt, and
0: and it's a, just a
1: giant pool with two divisions.
0: Like it doesn't make any sense to me. You, there has to be some way to segregate competition yeah. one way or the other. It just isn't feasible to run it otherwise.
1: And and because jujitsu is so complex that there are there literally is so many levels mm-hmm. that you do kind of need to break it up in a way now i do think that there's def legitimate criticisms for the belts like for instance you know if you call yourself like a blue belt world champion you, you know y- yeah you won worlds at blue but like you know in judo there's i don't i don't know if there's it, well maybe there is national levels for lower belts i'm not sure but it really in judo you only see black belts being showcased as you know, champions, Olympic champions. It's more about having a black belt. If you don't have a black belt in judo, it's like, oh, you haven't really reached the the, the level that you should be competing at. Whereas in jujitsu, it's like, you could win blue belt worlds and just, mm-hmm. you know, call yourself world champion on social but you're actually
0: a blue belt world champion like <laughs> well to be fair it is a lot quicker to get a, a black belt in judo than it is in jiu-jitsu. like the way that the belt ranking system works in judo getting a black belt only takes a few years but then getting the degrees on the belt is what takes a long long time so i mean you could argue that uh jujitsu some jujitsu blue belts have been training as long as some judo black belts right so there's there's something to be said about that but on the other hand you're right that there would be some degree of segregation for tournaments anyway it's just required i think you would probably if there were no belts you would wind up with a situation similar to what wrestling does where you've got like division one and division two i mean that
1: exactly that would
0: wind up happening one way or the other because it just isn't organizationally feasible to throw everybody into one big pool and just see who survives as awesome as that would be like i would love to see a 200 person bracket tournament of all skill levels, just because then I get to see a bunch of white belt, like, well, they'd all be white belts, I guess, but see a bunch of newbies just get destroyed. That would be entertaining to me.
1: But another thing, it's like how many people recreationally wrestle? Like that is true. Like not a whole, I, I, i just don't see it as much especially when we're talking about competition it's like if you're competing in wrestling you're a fucking beast you're yeah. not a com- you're not a recreational guy well,
0: let's be honest just because wrestling is actually hard yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> wrestling actually requires a uh,
1: work but in jiu-jitsu it's like you have these different belts now you allow the recreational guys to get into competitions yeah. at a, at a lower level and still compete and like mm-hmm. have fun so i you know some people shit on that aspect of jujitsu. Oh, it's not as legitimate. But it's like, well, you know, if I'm if I'm starting in a martial art like jujitsu and I'm forty and I'm a white belt, it's like I want to play. Maybe I want to try a competition. I want a place mm. that I can go to. I don't want to go in with like you know, all these, all these animals that are way younger than me or way more athletic than me. I want to, I want to be able to go into a division that's relative to my, my skill. And, and I still want to, you know, even though it on a, on an international level, it's like, it's not, it's not a huge accomplishment, but for on a personal level, it could be a huge accomplishment to go Absolutely. out there and do that. So it's like, you know, there is a, there is a place for, for having belts, um, in competition. I just it's when that the belt system gets hijacked by by someone through greed or by trying Mm -hmm. to make money as opposed to trying to show someone that they can grow individually. That's when it gets
0: it gets to be an issue. Now that said if anyone out there wants to wire me a thousand bucks, I will give you a brown belt. No questions asked, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm being open and transparent about it. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Yeah. You're grappling. Um,
1: and yeah. What, what do you, what do you think about like belt tests? It, we haven't really
0: talked about like testing. That's a good question. Um, I think there is tremendous value in having quality one-on-one time with your instructor to work out any kinks before you get to the next level where i think it is a problem is when you get charged for it because then it is even if your instructor is technically giving you one or two hours of their time and that is effectively like a private i understand why they would want to charge you for it but i think forcing someone to pay for a private is kind of skeezy Yes. Um, I think that's why I don't like it. Like, I think that the actual nature of the belt test in theory, it's great. I love the idea of your instructor sitting down and giving you one-on-one time and patching up any of those holes before they promote you. What I don't like is when they charge you for that and you have no recourse, right? Yeah. I actually had an instructor one time tell me that I needed a belt test and they asked, they, they wanted to charge me and I said, nope, I will stay at this belt level forever. Cause I'm not paying you. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: that, and I think that's fair. Like it, it's kind of um it's kind of a moral dilemma because it's a I I agree I don't do belt tests at my school and I'm not and I'm not saying that I never will. Mm-hmm. Um but but it, it, I do think that it is good to spend that one-on-one time with your students and to be able to uh help them patch up any holes or whatever like you say. That being said, Um, just, just as, uh, I don't want to say as a businessman, but just in terms of what I believe my services are worth, I do believe I would be entitled to get pay, but I don't believe I'm entitled to force someone to do a belt test if they, uh, against their will, like they shouldn't have to comply to that in order to get the next level. Yeah. So it's almost like the only fair way to do it would be to be like an optional belt test. Mm-hmm. But then you're, you know, then you could say that your standards are changing for certain people. Like, what are the chances that someone's going to be like, yes, I'd like to pay you $70 to do a belt test. It's like, well, no, most people are cheap. And, yeah. and let's be honest. It's a lot ta- of money to ask, right? It, it's I mean, a lot of money to ask, but also an hour or two hours is a lot of time to ask out of somebody. Exactly. Especially, and, and if everyone's going to go through that, it's like, you can't be given away free hours. Like, yeah, especially it, if That's got a bad precedent. You know, Start so it's to. like, it's really tricky. If you look at it from all angles, it, it becomes very difficult. Yeah. But one thing I, I think we agree upon, and that's that if uh, making belt tests, charging for belt tests and making it uh, obliga- obligate obligatory, that is not... Uh, moral that's not ethical and it's not fair for you as the instructor to not get anything out of it exactly right like that's not fair as well so there has to be some sort of a common ground and that my common ground at my school right now is i basically make an effort to roll with everyone and i give them Mm -hmm. immediate feedback and then and then when i feel like they're ready they'll get uh you know they'll get striped or they get belted
0: yeah but my offer stands if anyone wants to wire me a thousand bucks you can skip the line all of this stuff that we talked about doesn't apply to you. I'll mail you your brown belt. <laughs> I'll even make a handwritten certificate for you. It'll, it'll be very, very legit and above board. And I'm yeah. sure the IBJJF will it. We might as well, the Gracie's do it. it. So
1: it's, yeah. <laughs> you can reach your black belt if you just watch the internet. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think that was a good talk. Is there anything else that you want to add on the notion of belt tests and promotions, Matt?
1: Not really. Although I feel like we still, you know, could talk about this more. And if you guys have more questions about, uh, if you want to like, uh, if you want us to discuss about promotions or, you know, individual experiences that you've had getting promoted or or different schools you trained at, like we'd love to
0: hear about it. I would love to hear just individual promotion stories because I know this is a sensitive area for a lot of people. And actually when you hear stories of people following, falling out with their instructor or their school, a lot of the time it involves a promotion or an affiliation or something like that. So We get a lot of great value out of the questions that you guys ask, like the one that kicked off this episode. It gives us a lot of good ideas as to what we should cover in future episodes. So if if there's anything in particular that you want us to talk about on the topic of promotions or affiliations or belt tests or stripes, please do write in and let us know. It's very valuable feedback to us uh, and hopefully this has been valuable to you as well.
1: Unless it's Hoist Gracie, no, I don't want to fight you in a cage or on
0: the street. I will not fight you in a cage. I will not fight you in a rage I do not eat green eggs and ham I've I've been reading that book to my daughter so I actually would fight Hoist Gracie I don't care I don't want to get kicked in the balls which is the reason I wouldn't fight Hoist Gracie I better I better not fight Hoist Gracie (laughs) (laughs) but Hoist does have an open invitation to this podcast (laughs) do you think Hoist knows what a podcast is <laughs> all right that's enough of that God. um if you guys want more of this of course you can always go to bjjmentalmodels.com that's where we've got our online database and it's also the jumping point to all of the other stuff that we offer if you want to get more content via email go to bjjmental slash join if you want to pick up our merch we've got geese patches and we've got shir- sorry gee gi- patches okay. and we've got shirts you can pick them up at bjjmentalmodels.com slash store of course you can always follow us on facebook and on instagram that's probably the best place to get a hold of us so if you've got any questions or want to give us any feedback please do there matt i think that was a good chat anything else you want to close with no all good that was fun awesome thanks guys